you've got a Bible there in front of you, if you want to turn to page 704, it's Isaiah chapter 55, I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. It's entitled, Invitation to the Thirsty. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. What amazing words. Let's pray, shall we, as we come and look at this together. Lord, as we've heard this morning about how so few language groups have the scriptures available to them, we just thank you that this morning we've just been able to read your word. Thank you that it feeds us and nourishes us. Thank you that it points us to Jesus, the living word. And now we just pray that we'll have open hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you ever get in your junk mail invitations to things. And we sometimes get invitations to um, new car events. Do you ever get those? Or sometimes invitations around a show home, often way out of any kind of price range that you'd ever possibly be able to afford. But these invitations come, they come in the junk mail. But then you get those invitations that are actually meaningful, don't you? You might get an invitation to a wedding reception or an invitation to a birthday party. And you've got to think, how do you respond to an invitation? Well, you could always respond in the way that this person decided to put this together. I think the bit at the bottom is a special line for Theresa May to fill in. If you've seen the news over the past couple of weeks, you'll know what I'm talking about. But most invitations, though, are selective, aren't they? Most invitations are selective. When we got married, we had to make a decision as who we were going to invite and who we couldn't invite. 
because we were in a venue with a set number of people, with a set budget and set amount of places that we could seat people. And the consequence was that actually there were people who were left on the outside. There were people who were left who we'd love to have invited, but we couldn't. That was hurtful both for them and for us. This morning's passage is um, it's one of my favourites, actually. It's one of my favourites, particularly of the Old Testament, and it's the invitation to the thirsty. The invitation of God to come and share in his life, if you like. The invitation to come and experience all that this passage talks about. If you know anything at all about the, the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is a, it's a prophecy. And that means that Isaiah was writing what he had believed God had revealed to him about his heart, about God's heart for the future, about what would happen um, as the years went on. And in Isaiah 53, there's an incredible passage called the Suffering Servant Passage, where Isaiah, centuries before, is actually writing about Jesus. He's writing about the Messiah who will come, who will take the sins of the world, who will free us from sin, who will then go on to rise again and defeat death itself. But now, in this chapter, Isaiah is looking even beyond that. Because the end of this chapter, it's not obvious at first, but the end of this chapter looks to the renewal of all things. And so we get this invitation to the thirsty. Now, this is not literal, okay? Don't start thinking that, you know, we we need to all get a glass of water at this point. This is illustrative. It's about spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst, and spiritual food and drink. And this is an invitation that, as we read this passage, is wide open. It's not just to the people who Isaiah would have considered, or the people who, um, at the time, thought they were just the ones that God wanted to speak to, the people of Israel. But it goes beyond to the nations that you've never heard of, the people you don't know, it says in this passage. And it's an invitation to the whole of humanity to come and feast on the riches of God to come and be part of everything that God will do through Jesus. Water, the essential element of life. You know, we cannot exist for long without water. What percentage of us is water? Is it 90%, something like that? You know, we are mostly water. Then it goes on. Milk, come and buy milk. The, The drink of nourishment, particularly for infants who can't survive without milk. And then wine, the drink of celebration and feasting. It's about having a life filled with God and his purposes and his future. A life that by following Christ has eternal meaning and purpose. I so want to ask you, are you thirsty this morning? Are you thirsty? You know, when I say I'm thirsty, I generally mean I quite like a drink. I don't mean I'm sat in that valley, parched, gasping for water. You know, I think sometimes in our comfortable Western culture, we have spiritual thirst as we do have sort of thirst in our own sort of physical lives. You know, quite now, I would quite like a drink of coffee. But I'm not gasping. You know, I can manage. I will last out until we have a drink later. I'm not in that place of everything being parched and desperate for water. Are we desperately thirsting after God? Or are we just doing the very polite thing of thinking, yes, a little bit of God is very nice, thank you. But I don't see my desperate need of him. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
I can sound a bit confusing, that, can't it? You know, if I went into a, a car dealership and said, I'd really like that new car over there, I've come to buy it, but I've not got any money, I think I would get sent out of the door fairly quickly. It doesn't make a lot of sense. What is Isaiah on about? This is all purchased here. All the riches of God are purchased, but we don't pay the price for them. This is not ours to buy. The price has been paid. The currency is the currency of the suffering servant, Jesus, who has given his all for us. The life of God is found through what Jesus has done. And then in verse 4 and 5, we find that through Jesus, God is making an everlasting covenant. A covenant of love as promised to David. A covenant, a promise of God's riches to the nations who will follow him. Has anyone been bee hunting in Manchester over the summer? Yeah. We kept seeing it on social media and in the news that there are bees all over Manchester. You know the bee, the the worker bee, the symbol of Manchester? And there are all these bee statues all the way around the city centre. So if you're into bees, go and see them. They're they're quite interesting. It's worth doing a tour. You get a map and you do a tour around. Um, But I always find when I go into a big city, and, and Manchester is no exception, you get the full range of people, don't you? You don't get it if you go to some sort of smaller sort of town centres, but you just get the crowds. You get people looking like I look, or perhaps not quite that unfortunate, but, you know, similar, similar to me. You know, people with families, people on their own. You get people in groups. You get people who look very wealthy, people who are sat in the gutter begging. You get people in relationships of all different shapes and sizes just a huge crowd of people. You get everybody. You get the whole spectrum of humanity. But as I walked around, I I was thinking, you know, it's very easy for us to put people into categories of people who are like us and people who are not like us. Very easy for us to think that actually when God invites people to follow him, well, it's people who are a bit like me. You know, we want our church to be filled with people who are a bit like us because we all behave fairly similarly. But what about the people who are broken? What about the people who are not like us? And it just reminds me that this invitation is totally and utterly inclusive. It is to everybody. Because without Christ, we're all in need, aren't we? Without Christ, not one of us is remotely okay. We all need Jesus. This is a totally inclusive invitation. You know the only requirement to come? Is that you're thirsty is that you're thirsty. That is it. That is the requirement. That is what the invitation is based on. As a church, when we adopted our vision um, statement, we spent a considerable amount of time thinking, what is it that God is calling us to be and do as a church? Now, in a sense, every church should have the same vision, shouldn't it? We're all um, great commission churches. You know, Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and keep growing in who we are in Christ. But actually, we wanted to think, well, how does that resonate specifically here? What are those passages of Scripture that really speak to our situation? And as we looked into the, the place of limb, we found that this, the word limb actually means a place of running water, from an old Anglo-Saxon word, because round limb, there is lots of running water. That's a hidden waterfall under the road, just beneath the lower dam. Now, I want you to to imagine something for a moment. I want you to imagine that the dam isn't there. I don't know what was under the dam. Anyone seen pictures of what was under the dam before it was built? There's a stream. 
Okay? So don't go swimming and don't go boating in the dam. <laughs> so it was a stream flowing through, probably a wooded valley. Um, already in the lower dam, there's those waterfalls here. As you go down into the gorge a bit further down, there's more waterfalls. But you think about the environment where we live around here. Apart from that, it's all nicely rolling hills and quite peaceful. Take the motorways away. Take the noise of cars and all that kind of stuff. What would be the thing that you would hear as you came near Lynn? But the rushing waters, wouldn't it? It'd be that water going from those fields at the back, plunging down this gorge to go into what would have been the River Mersey. And as we, we sort of prayed this through, there was this real sense that these, these verses about running water had particular resonance with where we are, that we need to be a church who offers these running waters, the life-giving waters, the invitational waters of the Holy Spirit through what Christ has done to the communities round and about. To see the parched places come to life. To see those who actually probably don't realize they're living in drought, but they are, come to that realization of thirst and then to that place of quenching. Now, we can read this passage this morning and think, actually, this is all about me. This passage is about me. Am I thirsty? Am I longing for the deeper things of God? Am Am I going deeper in my relationship with him? That is a perfectly valid interpretation of this passage, and we will continue to ask that question, are we thirsty? But I think, actually, there's a bit more to this. Because this invitation is to everyone. This invitation is to everyone. The thirsty are found everywhere. And so I want to ask us a question. Are we invitation bearers to the thirsty? Are we living as invitation bearers? Someone once asked a philosophy professor, which is always a dangerous thing to ask a philosophy professor anything, but they asked this person, what do people live for? Do you want to hear his answer? Well, it's tough, you're going to hear it anyway. He said, just my belief, humans live for tomorrow. The past is full of pain, loss, and memories of fading glory. The present is full of pain, loss, uncertainty, and a tiny taste of joy. Tomorrow may bring painlessness, surety, and a great contentment. Probably even understanding, acceptance, ecstasy, a wild, continuous joy, and even love. And he goes on to say, yes, let's live for tomorrow. Then he says, in a word, humans live for hope. And I certainly do, and I'm human. Now, it's only his opinion, but I think what we see in people's lives is when hope is gone, we really struggle. When there is no real hope of anything for tomorrow, we really struggle. Without Jesus, ultimately, people have no real hope for the eventual tomorrow. That hope does not exist. So hope goes, so tomorrow goes with it. Well, people thirst, don't they? I don't know if you notice that people round about us are thirsting after all kinds of things. Um, something highly unusual happened over the summer, and that was that I went swimming in the sea in Wales. <laughs> and it actually wasn't that cold. I think I might, was it in there half an hour? I think I managed half an hour. Um, felt very sort of macho and, <laughs> and good about myself after that. But when you're in the sea, one of the worst things is that you end up swallowing seawater. And, you know, you're swimming and suddenly this wave hits you in the face and you get this mouthful of the most disgusting tasting water. Now, you can't tell whether the water is fresh or salty from looking at it, can you? Not really. Well, I can't. If you can, you can come and tell me how you do it. 
But, you know, you look at the sea, you look at a river flowing into the sea, and, and they look pretty similar. Yet when you taste the salt water, you realize that it's not going to quench your thirst. In fact, if you keep drinking on of it, it will just lead you to destruction, ultimately. It will ultimately kill you. And I think this is what people do. They thirst after stuff that looks okay, but actually it won't refresh. It will just eventually drive us down and down and make us worse and worse. Are we thirsting after the things of God? See, God's tomorrow is amazing. We see this as the passage goes on. But actually, there are some things that as human beings we need to do to share in God's tomorrow. This thirsting isn't just quenched. We have to act upon it. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. See, the invitation to respond to that thirst is limited by our lifespan. The time to respond to it is now. As soon as we possibly can. And then verse 7, it says, Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. See, seeking God, thirsting after God, and then receiving refreshment from God involves a complete surrender of our wickedness, of our sin, that coming to God in repentance and faith. You know, it can be very easy to read those words and think, well, the wicked, well, that's these people over there. You know, these are the people who do things that actually God doesn't like. But actually, just think about our own human hearts at the moment. You know, we are full of it, aren't we? We are fallen. We are broken. We are all the same. None of us without Jesus are okay. And unless we respond to Jesus, who died for us, we remain in verses 6 and 7. We can't get beyond into what this passage will talk about. You know, I was baptized when I was 18. I've been following Jesus ever since. That's quite a long time ago now. And yet there are times, possibly most days, when I look into my own heart and think, I amaze myself. And I don't mean in a good way. I don't mean in a good way. But I amaze myself that having followed Jesus for so long, I can still get such basic fundamental things, such as loving one another, totally wrong. That I can still miss the plot as to what Jesus has called me to do and to be. And that actually, of myself, I cannot get past verses 6 and 7. I cannot come to Jesus. I have no currency without Christ. I cannot buy what God has on offer. Only through what Jesus has done. And so this invitation is to all. The welcome is to everybody. It's totally inclusive. The need for humbling before ourselves and before God, the need for repentance, the need for faith, is equally universal. It applies to all of us as well. And then we get to a section which, if you like, is talking about the glorious sort of ways of God, the vision of who God is. It says in verse 8, his thoughts and ways are not ours. Hallelujah. That's all I can say to that. What an amazing thing that is. Verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. This unbridgeable distance between what we are like and what God is like. But then in verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. Even though God is so different from who we are, He still wants to speak to us. He still speaks his word to us and it will accomplish what he wants it to. You know, the word of God, the written word of God that we have in the scriptures, the living word of God who is the person of Jesus Christ. All of God's work will do what he sets out 
for it to do. The mercy and pardon offered, the thirst-quenching life that we invited to share. Out of love, God will do all of this for us. So we come towards the end of the passage, and we get to verse 12. Now those of you who have been around for a while will know verse 12 as a 1980s worship song. I'm not going to sing You Shall Go Out With Joy to you this morning. Can I risk putting the cat amongst the pigeons and say I don't think that song does this justice? Because actually what it does is it takes a verse, verse 11, verse 12, sorry, and gives it to us without doing verse 13 as well. I'll explain why that is important. I asked Claire, what do you think the song You Shall Go Out With Joy is all about? Do you want want to tell me what you said? You can't remember. I can remember what you said. So Claire said it was was about a sort of blessing as you go out, thinking, you know, all these celebratory things about God, that this is all that we have to look forward to. And yeah, fine, that's great. You know, it's about um, the fabric of the world singing. It's about um, trees clapping hands. You know, again, this is poetry because trees don't have hands. The fall is gone. You know, some of these amazing things that happen. But then we get the next verse that gets overlooked. Instead of the thorn brush, bush will grow, and I think actually the better word here, I think it's a juniper in the Bible we've got, is actually the pine tree is a better translation of that word. So instead, having problems with my clicker, instead of things like this, this will grow. What's all this about? Instead of nettles or briars, there'll be myrtle flowers. You know what? Myrtle flowers are just little white flowers, quite an attractive plant. And that's significant as well, because the myrtle was a plant, a plant that was used in the festival of Sukkot, which was a harvest festival, and it was used to indicate the unmerited favour of God. So just think about this imagery we get at the end of this passage, because there's quite a lot going on here. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, when they disobeyed God right at the beginning of Genesis, and when they got told to leave the garden... Part of the fall, part of the brokenness that then followed was that the earth would be really difficult to grow food in. That there'd be nettles and thorns and it would be really difficult to work the land. And so actually, you know, if you're a gardener today or a farmer, you will know that is true. You know, it is difficult. Things grow up that you don't want to be there. But actually what is happening here is because of everything that Jesus has done, all this gets reversed. And so it's not obvious when you first read it. You think, what's this about sort of garden plants? But this is actually a picture of a renewed universe. A universe when Christ has returned and his kingdom is complete, where the the new heaven and the new earth of of, um, Revelation come into being, and Christ becomes all in all. Let's go back to that question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? This is what Jesus said. John 7, verse 37. On the last And greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. And what Jesus effectively does is he says, All this stuff in Isaiah 55, well, it's all about me. I am the one who people can come to. I am the one who will give those life-giving waters. I am the one who can refresh your thirst, both now and for eternity. And so I want us to think about this as we draw this passage to a close in two ways. The first one is, are we invitation bearers? Are we taking this invitation out to other people? 
Just think about the anyone of this passage. Young, old, rich, poor, from every nation group under heaven. The only caveat about this passage is that people thirst after God. Thirsting after him. You know, our vision as a church is to see the thirsty find Jesus. But I think we still have a sticking point here. We need to be invitation bearers. We need to make sure that those invitations go out into our communities. You know, we can talk about it all we want, but if we're not taking those invitations out, this passage will not see the fulfillment that I believe God would want it to have. You know, there are lots of people who claim to be spiritual, but aren't following Jesus. Lots of people who, if you like, are probably drinking seawater when actually we have life-giving water to offer them. Are we invitation bearers? You know, I heard someone say the other day that the church in the past has often been good at offering the apocalypse, but not so good at offering the invitation. That sometimes we can offer the judgment and wrath of God. I mean, that's all there in Scripture. We have to preach that as well. But not offering this amazing invitation to be part of everything that God has for us if we will follow him. Romans 10 verse 14, Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Are we invitation bearers? Are we letting people hear this amazing news that when people come to God, when they come to Christ in repentance and faith, their thirst can be quenched by the Holy Spirit. They can have that meaning and purpose and this amazing vision of the renewed universe to look forward to. Secondly, This is about us. This is also about us. You know, maybe today that actually you've never responded to God's invitation. If that's you today and you're thinking, actually, this is about me, can I encourage you to come and chat to me after the service or one of the other leaders or go and speak to somebody in the prayer team? We would love to chat that through with you. But you know, drink is an ongoing need, isn't it? You know, I had a couple of drinks this morning, but I'm going to have another drink after the service. I'm sure we all will after talking about liquid all morning. If we want to be quenched and sustained as followers of Jesus, we are called to have that infilling, that constant, continual infilling of those life-giving waters. Not a one-off, but a continual process. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard people say from time to time that actually the reason we, we need continually infilling with the Holy Spirit is we, we leak. Now, I'm never sure that's quite the best explanation. I always think, actually, we need continually infilling because there is always more of God. There is always more of the Holy Spirit to be poured in. There is always more revelation of who God is. There is always more that we can gain from God's Word. There is always a deeper level of understanding of the Gospel and a deeper ministry of the Holy Spirit to have in our lives. The question is today, are we thirsty? Are we actually longing, desperate after that? Or are we just sat here thinking, actually, well, I'm okay. I'm okay as I am. I'm happy with my current level of life. I'm happy with my current level of relationship in Jesus. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty this morning? We've already talked this morning about how this week has been a new start for many people doing different things, new start in schools or jobs and things like that. If today you need a new start for thirsting after the things of God, would you commit yourself to that this morning? That this becomes a life-changing moment, something different that happens after today. 
So in a moment, we're going to we're going to sing again, and then the prayer team will be available at the end of the service. If that is you, if you'd just like somebody to pray with you this morning, that actually your thirst for God will grow, and you will receive that thirst-quenching life again of the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you want to pray for courage to be an invitation bearer, to share this amazing good news of the gospel with people around about us. Then can I encourage you, you know, either go see the prayer team or pray with somebody who you know. Let's not leave this place without responding to God's word. The invitation has gone out, the price has been paid, and the end is beyond our wildest imaginings. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for this promise that when we come to you, we will have those things that, those deep desires, those deep needs within us as human beings for hope for tomorrow, that that will all be quenched and found in you. So, Lord, I just want to pray for courage for us today. Courage to pray that you will refresh us again, that you will fill us. Courage to be invitation bearers. And, Lord, again, we give you thanks for that amazing image at the end of this chapter of the hope that we have to look forward to, that hope in you, the hope of the new heaven and the new earth when all things are renewed because of what you have done.